what's going on guys welcome to or welcome back to consuming crime it's your host here jules hello it's good to good for you guys to hear me again good to see that you guys are still listening or checking out the podcast before we get started you can now become a supporter of the podcast by going to consumingcrime.com and what i mean by become a supporter is you can make a small monthly donation as little as 99 cents to help sustain future episodes as well as earn yourself a supporter badge now what is a badge if you join the consumingcrime.com website there's now an option where you can log in slash sign up and you can join the conversation talk in the forums answer some questions that i ask and get badges one of them being the supporter badge that i mentioned you also earn a crime consumer badge as soon as you sign up and a deputy badge to make your first post and then you get more badges just based on how much you interact and how long you interact so like i said go ahead and become a supporter if you can it would mean the absolute world by going to consumingcrime.com and clicking that link that says become a supporter make sure you tell your friends about the podcast like us on facebook we hit 300 super super exciting let's go for 400 and last but definitely not least thank you thank you so so much for listening to the podcast like i said we recently hit a thousand unique listeners in the past 30 days and that is so mind-boggling to me so thank you thank you so so much for listening and i noticed this the last um the last episode when i was editing it this isn't something that i'm conscious of but my roommate's fire alarm is missing a battery and uh or the battery is dying and i'm i'm noticing it now see oh my gosh i'll do my best to edit it out if i'm not talking at the same time um and then i'm also talked to her and I said hey like change the battery because now it's getting in my podcast it didn't used to because I used to record in my room but now that my son is sleeping in there um I gotta keep it down so I record in the living room today we are continuing the series American Detective featuring Joe Kenda on Discovery Plus this episode is a face with no name I kept the original name I need to stop I did that last episode too I kept hitting my straw on my coffee it is Memorial Day weekend 2016 in Hope Mills North Carolina Around this time, there are new homes under construction and people are starting to look for homes to buy. One man in particular, his name is Ken Lombard, he takes this weekend to look around the area for a house for him and his family to live in. He comes across a dirt road and notices a body lying in the hot sun. He wonders to himself, were they sleeping? Are they passed out drunk? Like, what's going on? But he obviously sees that it's a person unconscious. So he gets out of his vehicle, goes to look over, and obviously worst case scenario this person is dead it is a young man trigger warning you guys this episode does involve um, a teenage boy like i said as he gets closer he realizes that this is a young male dead and covered in blood he immediately calls 911 and tells them i'm behind john griffin middle school there's a young male blindfolded it looks like he has been shot and he is unresponsive he sounds relatively calm on the phone then again i think we all respond to scenario is different we never really know how we're going to be until we're in it joshua hamilton is here being interviewed by the documentary he is a detective with hope mills police department he says that at the time of the phone call he was at a wedding when he received the call about the homicide and he left immediately he made a comment that like was stupid he was like oh you know i, I was disappointed that i had to leave the wedding disappoint i feel like it was probably disappointing to the family that they lost a loved one but like sure okay your wedding officers at first thought it could have been a hiker that suffered a heart attack which like i i gotta ask the question is it a heart attack if it's blood there's blood there they see that he looks like a teenager and he has a t-shirt over his face being used as a blindfold they also see bullet wounds as well as a head wound with skull fragments he 
was most likely shot and bludgeoned. They found the bullets in the dirt underneath him, which indicated he was shot as he was laying down. They look around his body and try to figure out some sort of indicating markings. They try to see if he has a wallet on him, an ID on him, and nothing. They have no idea who he is. And the identity of a victim is extremely crucial. Around the area, they find shell casings, 38 caliber shell casings to be exact. So they know that they are dealing with a semi-automatic handgun. In the way that this boy was killed, it appeared to be like execution style. So they made a note of that. At this time, they had to tag him as a John Doe. Then they transferred him over to get an autopsy. So now they're wondering why. One detective notes that most killings have to do with sex, drugs, or money. It has to be one of the above. Was this a gang initiation? Is this a robbery? We don't know. They ran the victim's fingerprints through the database just to see if he was in the system for any prior crimes. And there's nothing, guys. They cannot find this guy anywhere. Officers are looking around the crime scene still and they see tire tracks, but people are always out there riding their ATVs, so they're not sure if it's from that or if it's part of the crime scene. One detective does see a bat, and that bat is covered in a red liquid. He asks the question, is this red paint or blood? And doesn't blood turn brown? In the images, it did look a little bit brownish, reddish, but they're also thinking, you know, sometimes kids come over to this area and just grab items and hit poles and stuff with it so maybe they're thinking it's rust i you know we don't know they send this in for testing anyway reporters start to show up to the scene i asked the question at this point like how do these reporters know what's going on and apparently this is something that reporters do or can do is they listen in on police scanners which actually is pretty smart of them but officers did have a little bit of trouble keeping them off the crime scene which is extremely extremely important obviously because they can't contaminate it which you would think reporters would know that but guess not officers notice a car going back and forth around the crime scene and they start thinking are these the killers are these the suspects you know sometimes killers like to come back to the scene later on after the fact they sent some other officers to go follow them and stop them at like a normal traffic stop say who are you why are you driving around here and they said that officers we were just looking around we just wanted to see what was going on and i mean that's not against the law is it like honestly same i'm freaking super nosy i'd probably do the same thing um they say officers ask them where were you on the 27th and these guys say we are in the military stationed at fort bragg the officers did verify that they were on duty that night, so it really was just a couple of guys being a little bit nosy. Now we are back at the fingerprints. Unfortunately, nothing comes up, which means he hasn't been in trouble with the law. I already went over that. Why did I? Okay, I think I jumped ahead and told you something earlier, but now we know that. Times two. <laughs> but now officers are back at square one, not knowing who he is. They call around, calling different stations looking for any missing persons report that could possibly match who this person might be. They checked other cities, other counties, and there's nothing. This is extremely frustrating to officers because the challenge should be who's the killer, not who's the victim. The victim was transported and the autopsy is back now. He suffered multiple gunshot wounds to the torso, arm, and right thigh at different angles, which means he must have been rolling around and alive when taking most of the shots. The cause of his death was a blunt force object to the head. One of the officers receives a phone call at the coroner's office. He leaves the room to take the call 
It's a friend of his from another sheriff's department. There was a missing persons report filed by Amanda Daniels. She filed it for her brother, 16-year-old Andrew Dorenzi. The family sends over a picture of Andrew, and the officer knows right away this is definitely the same person. He held the phone up next to the deceased body and confirmed, okay, this is the same person. Officer says, that's our kid. Because he is, he's just a kid. He's 16 years old. At this point, I'm watching, and I'm just like, who, who did this? Like, seriously, whatever, whatever it was, was that serious to kill a 16-year-old boy? Seriously? Now they need to make a death notification to the family. Death notification, that sounds so, like, modern and, like, common. I hate the way that sounds. The family did expect it, but they obviously prayed for good news. They showed the brother the photo, and he said, yes, that's him. Everyone starts crying, and they just keep saying, you know, like, this can't be real. I can't believe this. And Amanda has children with her husband. So, you know, Andrew has nieces and nephews that just look up to him. And they're all, I mean, they're old enough to understand what's going on. And it's just, it's sad. And, you know, now, now that they're older, they're in the documentary as well being interviewed, and they just, they adored him. You know, he wasn't a troublemaker. He wasn't a bad kid. So now we're really begging the question, like, what the hell happened? Andrew had moved in with his older siblings since their mother was having some health issues. At that time, it was just better living conditions. Andrew had three nephews, and he loved them dearly. They loved him dearly. He was bright. He was homeschooled. He had two jobs, which he was homeschooled, which... So who was he hanging out with? Which, obviously, officers had to ask that question. He wanted to be a pilot, but he wasn't sure if he was going to go the military route or just do some flight lessons and try to get his foot in the door that way. The family says they had just talked to him. He asked them for money because his car had broken down and he needed a tow truck. So his brother-in-law told him, I don't have any cash, but I can drive out to where you are and help you out. And Andrew told him, never mind, don't worry, I got it, I'm safe. You're safe? I want to know, did the brother-in-law ask, are you safe, or did he just say, oh, I'm safe? Because if he said it, I feel like, I mean, it it definitely made the sister and the brother-in-law kind of raise their eyebrows like, what? So where is Andrew's car? Officers put on an APB. I'm going to look up what it is. If you know what it is, leave me alone. If you don't know what it is, join the club. I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Already been posted. Pretty sure that's not what that is. All points? Abbreviation APB, a radio message about a person or vehicle that the police are looking for sent to all police officers who work in a particular area. Okay. Makes sense. So they put on APB for the car. Andrew had a bank account linked to Amanda and Nate's. Nate is the brother-in-law. I wish I noted that earlier so I could stop saying brother-in-law. I feel like I said it a million times at this point. So Amanda and Nate. They see withdrawals from the account, an amount of $80 from his account and $120 from Amanda's account to withdraw. Andrew does not take money like that, according to Amanda. That's just not like him. They recall after that phone call that they kept calling and texting him and he did not answer the phone. They thought maybe something was wrong with his phone and on Sunday is when they filed the missing persons report. Now officers are wondering, are these withdrawals connected to the murder? If it is, which... I'm pretty sure at this point that it is. You're going to kill somebody for... Uh, what is that? 80... Hold on, I'm in accounting. I know this. $200? 60 
seriously? We'll find out. I'm, I take notes of my current reaction, so I'm trying to put myself back in that mindset so I can kind of go through it with you guys. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, there's no way. That's, that's insane. His only friend was a guy named Daniel, who he had recently moved in with a few weeks prior. Really quick, you guys, let me go over today's sponsor, which is Audible. Audible is a continuous sponsor of Consuming Crime. A uh, huge shout out to them for sponsoring today's episode. Audible is a super awesome online website where you can listen to audiobooks. I don't really like reading. I'm not big on reading. I would much rather just pop in my headphones and listen to something. And right now, I'm currently listening to The Mastery of Self by Don Miguel Ruiz. This is just, like, it's self-explanatory. I think the narrator is the author, and it's just really calming to kind of hear his voice. But if you do want to listen to that, you get two free credits on us at audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash consuming crime. You get two free credits on us. If you do it, I highly recommend The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, the same author. But if you want to listen to that author, I always recommend starting with The Four Agreements. It completely changed my life. All right, back to the episode. So now I'm thinking, all right, Daniel, what you doing, bro? Because the only significant change that Andrew has had in his life was moving in with you. And before that, he didn't get into trouble. He was a good kid. He was going to school, going to work, bonding with his nephews. You're the problem. Like, however you're linked to this, dude. Andrew was extremely independent and he was ready to get on his own and be an adult. Boy, you're a teenager listening to this and you just want to grow up and be an adult? Stay a kid. Let your parents pay the bills. Rent, live rent-free. Don't grow up. You got freedom, but it's hard, okay? Just putting that out there. The family had met Daniel at the Fort Bragg Fair a few weeks before he moved in with him, and they knew that his mom was a bail bondsman. The officer knew exactly who they were talking about. He knew one female with a son named Daniel, and she was a bail bondsman. Officers call her and say, hey, we want to talk to your son. She says, okay, no problem. Come into my office. I will have him here. So they go and they sit with Daniel. Daniel is 19 years old. They describe him as clean cut and well-dressed. He starts saying, yeah, I heard about Andrew. It's really bad how he was left out in the woods like that. And officers are like, how do you know? Because at this point, the only thing they released to the media is that there was a death investigation. They didn't release who it was. They didn't release any further details. So how does he know? They didn't even release that the victim was a man or a woman. I mean, the family could have called him and told him, hey, Daniel, have you seen... No, but then how would he know that he was left in the woods and shot? True. Okay, I just countered my own argument. So again, it's really messed up how they found him shot up like that. I guess he said both things. Both officers know now. Okay, this guy, he either did it or he knows something. You guys live together? Yes, me, Andrew, and my brother Devin, but just for a little while. He says they were having trouble paying bills and at one point asked Andrew for money for the light bill. They had been evicted the week before Andrew was found dead and they had not seen each other the whole week, he says. So he says like, hey, basically his timeline right now is they bugged him, asked him for the money for the light bill. I don't know if he gave it to him. He didn't say anything yet. And they got evicted. And then a week later, now he comes up and he's dead. Officers knew that Andrew used the ATM the night he went missing. So the officer works with a bank and eventually receives an email. He received the email while interviewing Daniel, which I thought was freaking awesome. The email says, we reviewed the tapes, here are the photographs. Andrew's standing there, taking out the money. 
and you see a silver Pontiac Sunfire waiting in the back for him. The other picture shows another male driving a different car. Let's call this guy Johnny. Remember that name. Andrew is in the back seat of this one and there are others in the car but you can't really make them out. The officer goes back in the room with Daniel and without being prompted at all and knowing or knowing what the officer left for, he changes his story. He must have realized there was cameras around that night. Like, there's cameras at every single ATM. Maybe he just clicked. Daniel admits he saw him that night that he went missing. He said, I drive a silver Pontiac Sunfire. I picked up Andrew to take him to the bank to get the money he owed me for the light bill. It was like $80. After that, they got milkshakes, and then Daniel took him to a man named Ian Robinson to drop him off. My mic is falling. Awesome. Daniel is clearly a liar and cannot be trusted, so now everything that he says needs to be corroborated by police. They track down this Ian guy, and Ian agrees to talk to the officers. He says, yes, they were here this night, or that night. Andrew and Daniel left for a short time, and they did come back. Officers can tell that Ian is leaving things out, and they tell him whoever gets on the train first is the one who gets to ride. The DA's office is going to look at who is the most cooperative. Lying is only going to make it worse. He says Daniel came running to the front. They grabbed Andrew and threw him in the car. Would not say who they were, though, when he was referring to them. Okay, this thing is falling. Son of a He's still leaving things out, so officers offered a polygraph test. They set it up for the same day, and immediately Ian is fidgeting and being told to sit still, which, I mean, everyone would be kind of nervous, um, but I don't like Ian, so... The polygrapher said he knew way more than he was letting on, and it was one of the worst fails he had ever seen. So the officer decided, let's do a post-polygraph interview where they do it again, and they sat outside on the curb and had a quote-unquote heart-to-heart. Now he tells the officer what happened. The first part is true. Andrew and Daniel went to the ATM to get money owed for utilities. While they were gone, Devin, this is Daniel's brother, showed up at Ian's house, angry and venting to Ian. Ian tells him, they're getting the money right now, just relax. Devin is not letting up, he feels pissed off, he's disrespected, and um, he's basically saying, like, he should have given me the money, not my brother, like, he owes me, blah, blah, blah. It's, like, really bad. Devin said he was going to kidnap Andrew after he buys a piece from his friends. Ian tries to talk him out of it, but he is angry. I'm going to make him pay me more. Devin tells him to just keep his mouth shut. He's like, dude, I'll give you 100 bucks. You don't have to participate. Just look the other way. For $100, Ian agrees to keep his mouth shut, which you would rather take $100 than to take Andrew and be like, yo, I think they're being a little sus. Maybe like call the cops or drive to vegas i don't know how far is vegas from north carolina you guys know what i mean like a hundred dollars it was worth that that was worth it when they get back devin and daniel take andrew into another car and take him back to the atm the officer asked about the car in the photo he said i'm not sure whose car that is this is the second car it's a red car but i think i saw that car at devin and daniel's place at some point officers get reinforcements to go to devin's apartment the new place they're staying at they get there and are notified that Daniel left, so they send other officers to go and stop him. In the dramatization, it shows that he tried walking, which officers just were like, hey, dude, stop, get in the car, and he pretty much submitted and um, got in the car immediately. 
he just he knew he knew he was caught i think there was too many people involved for one of them to not open their mouth which is crazy because the one that got paid specifically to not open their mouth is the one that did it oh, this next part is really dramatic like it it's so dramatic to the point that i don't think it happened in real life i think it's something that the documentary literally acted out now picture this officers are like super tense they're waiting outside of Devin's house like is he gonna have a gun is he gonna shoot us like they're literally like 20 cops and like 10 cop cars outside and just like you know they're holding their guns up um on their cars and it's just like do 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 super tense again i don't think it happened in real life but nonetheless they're at Devin's new apartment you can say, finally the door opens, and it's just him, it's just Devin Hall standing there. He opens the door, and they arrest him. They push the door open, and they see Johnny. Remember the name Johnny? That's the name of the guy from the second ATM photo, which, by the way, his real name is Darian Revels. I only said his name was Johnny because I didn't know his name yet, so I was like, I think he's going to be important. Let's call him Johnny. His name is Darian Revels. They ask him. Before they arrest him, they say, what kind of car do you drive? And he says, a red Honda Accord. That's the same car in the picture, so I guess that's probable cause to arrest him. So they arrest him, too. They initiate search warrants and interviews. First, Darian is being interviewed. We're watching the actual footage in the documentary. He says he knows nothing about the homicide, and they're like, okay, well, what do you know about this photo? They show him that photo of him with the Honda Accord. He says, Devin told me that Andrew gave the money to Daniel, but he should have given the money to him. Again, with the whole, he felt disrespected. Darian wanted to help his friend get the money. So, Devin said he knew someone that had a gun for sale. He told Darian he would use it to threaten Andrew. So I guess he was just supposed to threaten him. They got the car and they went to pick up Deontay Walker, the guy who was going to sell them the piece, which I guess he didn't sell them the gun because he gets in the car and he was going to accompany them with the gun until they got the money. Darian says they got to Ian's house. This Okay, so Darian says that they get to Ian's house. Devin left his car and then later on ordered Andrew to get in the new car or the red car. He keeps saying like, you owe me money, you owe me money. And Andrew's like, okay, take me to an ATM. I'll give you what I can. So that's when they go back and Andrew gives Devin his ATM card, which is where they take out the 120. Apparently the max that the machine can give you is about $200. After this, they pull into a dirt road and they all get out of the car. Darian in the interrogation now says, I couldn't watch anymore, so I got back in the car. The officer is talking to Devin in the interrogation now. He says, yo, you gotta get something. I don't care if it's $10, $15. And he says, F you. Apparently, Andrew said F you to this guy, which even if he did, he doesn't deserve to die for it. And I don't think he did tell you that. I think you were just being a little brat because you didn't get your money. After Andrew gave him the money, he said, I did, like, I was going to let him go. No, you weren't. But his friend told him, nah, dude, like, that's not enough. Like, first of all, doesn't he owe you money? Why does it matter what your little friend has to say? Why does it matter? Aren't you, like, a little bit older? You're 19 years old, picking on a 16-year-old? You're about to be 20. Your teens are going to be over. Grow the f*** up. They get out of the car. Now we're getting this from Devin's point of view and try to get more money out of Andrew. Devin suggests calling his family. He's like, hey, call your family, ask them for the money, say it's for a car problem. We already know this happened, and this plan fails. He's like, all right, all right, all right. If you do this next thing, do not tell anybody. We will let you go. Andrew puts a blindfold on himself. They put him in the trunk. 
and they drive around basically having him tumble in the back of the trunk while they're doing that everyone in the car is talking like how do we know he's not gonna say anything like what if he snitches blah 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 so they stop the car take Andrew out of the trunk and Andrew tells Devin thank you for not killing me and Devin says I got you bro Devin gets the gun and shoots him multiple times he falls to the ground and at one point tells him shoot me in my head which means like he was in that much pain that he just wanted to die Devin keeps shooting and eventually runs out of bullets and he's still alive so this pisses Devin off I don't know how I don't even know how at this point you could look at somebody suffering and still get angry that what they're not dead yet because they owed you like ten dollars he finds a bat and he beats him with it until he dies that said i had to go over that really fast officer describes Devin as cold and in this moment he is showing zero remorse which does not surprise me after the interview the only request he has is that he wants to call his mom and on the phone he says i just got charged with murder kidnapping armed robbery he doesn't even seem like he cares so daniel Devin, and darian are put in jail i hate that their names are so similar because it's a little bit like hard to follow and they had no previous criminal record before that, mind you. Devin Hall takes a plea deal, gets charged with first-degree murder, robbery with a dangerous weapon, first-degree kidnapping, and gets life in prison without the possibility of parole in exchange for taking death penalty off the um, table. Daniel pled guilty to accessory after the fact to kidnapping and gets three years. Ian Robinson, the $100 guy, Guilty to accessory after the fact to kidnapping, two to three years in prison. Deontay Walker brought the gun, accessory after the fact, two to three years. Darian Revels, the driver, gets charged with armed robbery, conspiracy, kidnapping, and gets 10 years in prison. This 16-year-old boy lost his life because of a couple of chumps that had ego problem? I don't know. A little d problem? I'm debating if I'm going to keep that in the episode, but I just might. Because there, there is so much, you guys, I've seen it. People acting all hard, acting like they stand for something because they represent a gang. Like, does that make you hard? Or does that just mean that you were too much of a to join the real world and get a real job and do real things with your life. You want to join this fake cult gang to show what? That you got balls? And then you end up in jail where there's more gangs. So yeah, like you made it. It's pathetic. It, it's obviously something that I'm passionate about because I'm sitting here talking about it, but it's just this kid didn't need to die. This kid didn't need to die. All these other morons that got two to three years, two to three years, even the 10 years, like, rot mother I usually try to, to listen to a case, watch a documentary, and kind of in my head, like, t like separate, you know? Not in a way to where I don't, don't have some sort of empathy, but in a way that it doesn't, I don't want to cry every episode. I don't want to get too emotional because that would make this job that much harder so i kind of try to tell myself like it's it's not real but it is does that make sense i hope that that makes sense i don't mean that to be offensive in any way 
Every single one of these people's lives matters. Nobody that I talk about needs to die. Nobody that I talk about deserves to die. But I think I just, I haven't covered a, a case that was like, I guess gang related or somebody died over money. But um, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Before you go, make sure you like us, give us five stars wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. And then if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you totally can. To become a supporter, all you got to do is go to consumingcrime.com, click become a supporter, choose an amount. You can donate as little as 99 cents a month. This helps to sustain future episodes. And you will also get a supporter badge. What is a badge? You earn badges by joining the website consumingcrime.com. And you earn badges based on how much you interact and communicate with other crime consumers. And thank you guys again for listening and supporting the podcast. It means the absolute world to me. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much it for today, guys. Thank you for consuming crime with me, and you'll hear me next week.